enjoyment of his creation, of his good gifts, enjoyment of the fellowship that he's given us with each other, enjoyment of him with one another. But the name, in the name of that, this is where I want to kind of drive home tonight, is we have a God and we serve a God of rest. That's why the Lord, I think, says of himself, six days he created and on the seventh day he rested which means he entered into the enjoyment of his creation. He entered into the enjoyment of us, his people. And so what I want to do tonight is talk about rest as a principle in the Christian life, more generally. And the way that I want to talk about it is really think, there are just three things we're going to do tonight. We're going to kind of shift from what we've normally been doing in our pattern and talk about three things. First, why rest is huge. Second, why rest is hard for us. And then lastly, just some practical suggestions of how we might build rest, enter into rest in our own lives. So let's, let's start first with why rest is huge. And here's the first I just mentioned is because it's woven into the fabric of creation. Uh, if work is joining with God and what he does, rest is enjoying with God what he enjoys. Um, there's a, a weird, his name's Alvin Plantiga, he's a philosopher, and there's this weird illustration he uses where he talks about, my son has a fish tank, I just took him, I will never understand it, but he, he loves his fish. So I took him a couple weekends ago to PetSmart to pick out some, he needed some new shrimp to help clean his tank, and he needed, uh, he wanted like a, some kind of snail. I don't understand it, but I, I'm his dad, I'm trying to love him, so we went. But Plantiga says, if you think about how, if maybe, maybe you have a fish tank that you enjoy, we could talk shop. I've learned some from my son. But he has this strange way where he says, think about the Lord. He has thousands upon thousands of fishes, of fish that he enjoys every day. Um, that God really does when he rests, he enters into enjoying his creation. That means rest for us is taking time to simply be, not do. And that's part of what it means to be human, to live within our God-given limits, is to take time to honor our created selves and not do anything or do what is restful, but to simply be and enjoy. Um, So first, because it's woven into the fabric of creation, that's why it's huge. But second, because God literally, (laughs) what we're talking about tonight, he commands it. Isn't it fascinating that God has to command us to rest. Because I think God knows what restless and greedy and approval-driven and money-hungry and control freaks that we are and can be and how much our hearts need to commune with him and to commune with one another. He literally looks at us and says, enter into my rest. He commands us to rest. What kind of a God do we serve? Third, because Jesus so beautifully embodies it. Just think about reading through the Gospels. Think about this. This is the way I was thinking about it. Jesus is never in a hurry, and yet he's always on time. He's never puffed up with self-importance. He's not afraid to disappoint people to say no. He never looks up to the important. He never overlooks or looks down to the unimportant. Uh, I, don't, I love this about Jesus. He doesn't seem to feel guilty about naps. Love that. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. He doesn't waste time, yet he has margins in his schedule for last-minute dinners. He took time to be alone and to pray. He apparently had really good taste in food and wine, which is why he's invited to these parties. And one of my favorites, and I say this a lot, 
when he restores Peter, he cooks that beautiful breakfast on the beach. That's what I always talk about is Waffle House with Jesus, which is a beautiful thing to enter into what he enjoys. But he beautifully embodies for us a deep rest, a God-centered rest, which is part of what he has won for us that he invites us into. When he invites us and he says, come all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest which means that rest is something bigger than entertainment. If it really is enjoying what God enjoys, it also means enjoying God's enjoyment of you. I think sometimes when we think about rest, we think about it kind of detached from God. But part of what the Sabbath principle is driving at is that a huge part of rest is not just enjoying his creation and the good gifts that he gives, but also through that enjoying him. And the goal, to say it that way, is not to be someone who does rest or schedules rest. We're going to talk about that in practical suggestions. But what might it look like for you to be a person who is at rest? That even in the way you work and in the way you rest, you're at rest. Um, I'm sure I've said this before. All right, so... Ten years ago, probably now, maybe longer. Gosh, I've been in this game a long time. There were these videos by this church in Raleigh. It's called Vintage 21. And they were doing a series on uh, the life of Jesus in the Gospel of John, maybe. But they took these old Jesus movies, and they would dub over them what we often think Jesus is like. And so my favorite of all time, I'm sure if you've been around, you've heard me say this before. My favorite of all time is <laughs> one of the movies where Jesus is about to give a Sermon on the Mount. And what they dub over is Jesus gathering his disciples, and as he walks to greet each one, he critiques them. He just tells them why he's disappointed in them. So like he goes up to John. He's like, John, I saw you dancing last night, and you were a little too close to that girl. Um, he goes to like Matthew, and he says, I saw the, the cuss words you said when you stubbed your toe. And then my favorite is he goes to Peter, and he says, Peter, uh, I saw that you drank last night. Not enough to be drunk, but just enough to make me angry, which is one of my favorite lines. But the video is so powerful to me because I think we often think that's what Jesus is like. And the question for you is, do you have a Jesus? Do you know the real Jesus who doesn't critique you, but enjoys you, who loves you? So first, woven the fabric of creation. Two, God literally commands it. Three, Jesus so beautifully embodies it and invites us into it and enjoys us in it. Four, why rest is huge? Because we're called to model rest to a restless world. Um, You've surely heard me say this before, but C.S. Lewis, one of my weird Lewis quotes that I love a lot is he talks about uh, how much he enjoyed his time with his friends. Uh, The Inklings, if you're a Lewis Tolkien Uh, nerd as myself and he's got this quote he says this he says my happiest hours are spent with three or four old friends in old clothes tramping together and putting up in small pubs or else sitting up till the small hours in someone's college rooms talking nonsense poetry theology metaphysics over beer tea and pipes there's no sound i like better than adult male laughter what would it look like for ruf to be a ministry that deeply, in a really countercultural way, embodies the rest of Jesus. That when we are together through our laughter, 
through our intimacy, through our friendship, we really are a picture of the kind of rest that the Lord invites us into. But let's talk to why rest is so hard. If that's why rest or part of why rest is so huge, why is it so hard for us? Because if we're being honest, it is. At least to rest in the ways that I just laid out for us. And I think, again, there are a couple of several reasons. Here's number one. Rest is hard because of our idols. There's that almost throwaway verse. We know Jonah. I'm not going to presume we all know Jonah. Jonah and the whale. Jonah and the great fish. There's a lot of bad Christian songs written about it. One in particular that's coming through my mind by FFH, I believe. Um, But Jonah's got this line in Jonah 2 where he says... Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And we could say that those, this is what we wrestle with, we cling to idols, and in doing so, we forfeit the rest that could be ours. Um, I like the way Tim Keller talks about that. Typically, there, we could talk about very, like, um, he, he talks about far and near idols. Near idols are the things like, it could be your GPA. It could be your boyfriend or girlfriend. It could be a friendship. It could be a lot of things. But he talks about far idols, main idols that kind of drive us. And he says typically there are four of them. Approval, power, comfort, and control. And I like that because for me, it's usually kind of a tie between approval and comfort. So it's like, Jesus, you're, you're great, but if I could just be liked by every single person I ever meet, then I'll be okay. Or, Jesus, you're great, but if I could just feel good, if I could just, you know, get that feeling where I just feel good, the pleasure's flowing, then I'll know or feel okay. Um, years ago, uh, thinking about this struggle in my life, I realized in a conversation with my Alyssa how much ministry that I've done in the name of approval. And the conversation kind of went, it was a good, sobering, Holy Spirit convicting moment of, it is easy for me to do ministry in the name of, not so much Jesus, but in wanting to be liked by you, by wanting to be liked by everyone I sit down to coffee with, or go for a walk with, or eat a meal with. And the way that I kind of left, almost not in despair, but in a moment of a really sober moment, I just said, well, if that's true, whose approval can I live for now? If I can't live for your approval, whose approval can I live for? And of course, the answer is like, uh, Jesus? You could live for his approval, which you already have, which is the good news of the gospel, is that Jesus sees you with eyes wide open. He knows every part of your struggle. He knows everything that you don't want anyone else to know. And he chooses you. He loves you. You already have, already have his approval. So because of our idols too, similarly because of our addictions. Um, There's a recovery book that's been really helpful to me that talks about in in, in addiction what we're crying, our heart cry if we are struggling with things where we feel addicted to them is this line that always sticks with me. It says, we cried with outstretched arms, please connect with me and make me whole. And yet our addictions rob us. They don't give us rest. The way that Frederick Buechner used to say it is, addiction is like the craving of salt for a man who is dying of thirst. Think about the way lust might work in your life. It's the craving of salt for a man who is dying of thirst. It doesn't fill you. It doesn't make you feel whole. 
And it can be this horrible cycle where we give ourselves more and more and more and we feel more and more shame and more and more guilt. So we go back to the place where we think we're going to find life in our addiction and it doesn't work. And we repeat the process and there is no rest for us. So because of our idols, because of our addictions, but then third, because of our perfectionism. We have to be perfect. We have to do it right. We have to do it up to a stand, our standard, which is normally higher, sometimes even than the Lord's standard himself. Uh, I love the way Anne Lamott, one of my favorite writers, she says it like this. Perfectionism is the voice of the oppressor, the enemy of the people. It will keep you cramped and insane your whole life. I think perfectionism is based on the obsessive belief that if you run carefully enough, hitting each stepping stone just right, you won't have to die. But the truth is that you will die anyway, and that a lot of people who aren't even looking at their feet are going to do a whole lot better than you and have a whole lot more fun while they're doing it. Um, We can often believe as long as we are perfect, then we can be loved. Then we can be accepted. But we'll never be at rest. Because we can't, if, if the Bible is true, if Jesus really went to the cross, it says we will never be perfect. We can never do enough. We need Jesus. Um, some of you have heard me tell this story before, but part of why I like RUF is I like to do weddings, which is a little bit weird. Um, and years ago, I was doing a wedding in Augusta, Georgia. And this was when my oldest daughter was probably 10 at the time. She was really into dance and really into ballet. And so she was really excited because she was going to break out some dance moves at the, re- at the reception. Rehearsal would be weird. At the reception. And so my move at the wedding is give me a plate of food in a corner. And like that's my move. But she's like eagerly waiting for the band to start. And like I'm watching her from, from my corner on the dance floor and she's kind of waiting and then the band comes and she starts to she starts to you know do her moves and then these older girls show up and like they really know how to dance and so like they're really breaking it down and I watch my daughter just crumple on the floor and she's like lasers knives at them and so we get back uh to, to our minivan, which is another fun story. And we're in the minivan and I am driving us home and Jane Mack is uh, gritted teeth in the back. And as trying to be a good dad, I just say, hey, you okay back there? And she just goes through gritted teeth. No, those girls, those girls, I hate them. They're better dancers than me. It was one of those moments as a parent where you're like, ooh, I don't know whether to laugh or cry or both. I, I chose not laughter. <laughs> there are plenty of reasons my kids will be in counseling, but that's not one of them. And, um, but it was a moment for me where I, I saw myself. I saw that part of me that robs me of rest, that I have to be better or more. And it can rob me of what I already have in Jesus. And then fourthly, because of our busyness. Um, there's a great book that I like. It's called Between Walden and the Whirlwind. And this author, her name is Jean Fleming. And she's talking about 
She became a Christian, and then for 30 years of her life, she was told in lots of particular ways, here's what it means to be a Christian. And she's talking about the exhaustion of it. And here's, I think it's in your handout. Here's, maybe it's not, I don't, yeah, it is. She says this. She says, in the 20-some years I've been a Christian, I've received instruction on and been challenged to read my Bible daily, pray without ceasing, do in-depth Bible study regularly, memorize scripture, meditate day and night, fellowship with other believers, always be ready to give an answer to the questioning unbeliever, give to missions and to the poor, work as unto the Lord, use my time judiciously, give thanks in all circumstances, serve the body using my gifts to edify others, keep a clean house as a testimony, practice gracious hospitality, Submit to my husband, love and train my children, disciple other women, manage finances as a good steward, involve myself in school and community activities, develop and maintain non-Christian friendships, stimulate my mind with careful reading, improve my health through diet and exercise, color coordinate my wardrobe, watch my posture, and simplify my life by baking my own bread, which is my favorite. And she goes through that and says, it's exhausting. And so often in the Christian life, we can miss what it means to be in Christ. And that's what she goes on to say as Paul talks so much. She talks so little about here's the list. He's not afraid of exhortation, but it always flows from here's who you are in Christ. Here's what has been done in Christ. Here's what it means when Christ said on the cross, it is finished which means everything has been done for you. Everything necessary to win your forgiveness, to win your place before the Lord himself has been done by Jesus for you. Let's just end with some practical suggestions. Um, How do we sort of begin to be centered in this kind of rest? I just have mm, six of them. We'll go quickly. Here's one. Make the most of counseling. Uh, we talk a lot about counseling in RUF. Uh, you have to understand yourself to know what, it, what rest in Christ looks like for you. Um, you'll never be able to rest until you have sat with more mature uh, believers who can hold your story carefully. And that's what a good counselor can do is they listen and they begin to hold your story and they hold it carefully as you share it with them. Uh, That's a huge part of building rest into our lives. Uh, Number two is building literally Sabbath building rest into your schedule. Let's start with let's start with the Lord's Day. That's a great place to start. I've known many a student in my area of time that intentionally said, I am going to carve out Sunday and I'm really going to strive to both go to worship and hear Uh, be in the means of grace, but also make that day about enjoying God's creation and enjoying my fellow believers. Uh, It could be a beautiful way to start, but working Sabbath into your schedule. Three, finding what is restful to you. Uh, I forget having this conversation with a student. And restful to me is often the way that I like to enjoy God's creation is typically a movie by myself or a McDonald's meal in my car alone. Those are beautiful gifts of the Lord. But he was like, or, or taking a nap, big nap guy, big sleep guy. And he was like, not, I can't, that's not me. He was like, I find rest in like going rock climbing. And I'm like, okay, all right. So we're different. But there are more passive and active ways. It's part of knowing yourself is knowing what is restful to you. Um, maybe it is hiking, running, walking, 
Maybe it is movies, reading, cooking, good meals, good drinks. Maybe it is hunting, fishing, Netflixing. I don't know that didn't flow. <laughs> That's what I have down. Um, for uh, don't be afraid to spend some time apart from your phone. I, I think I know this is said so much, and I'm not. I'm not trying to be that guy. But I think at least wanting to be wise in the way that we do our lives online. And is it bringing rest, bringing life, or is it robbing rest, robbing life? I'm not going to say more than that. Uh, Five-year body really does matter. Listening to your body. Uh, I don't mean size, appearance, any of that. But I just mean uh, how the Lord, see, it's just like to say, the Lord Jesus has a body. Like right now, the right hand of God, he is in his glorified body. And Lewis would say, God loves bodies. Uh, my friend Chris Horn at Fall Conference, and we were there, powerfully said, God loves your body. Do you? Do you take it seriously with joy? And then lastly, doctors and medicine are our friends, especially in the realm of mental health. Uh, I say that as someone who struggles with depression and has found medicine tremendously helpful. That's been a huge part of learning for me, not only how to take my body seriously, but how to learn to rest in the limits that are true for me. Um, that's all I've got for us. I'm going to pray for us. And then happy spring break. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the rest that you have for us, you invite us into, that you accomplish for us. Lord, would you, you already invite us into it. I pray for myself and I pray for my friends that the spring break would feel um, not just restful in some cheap way, but restful in this kind of way that it might feel like a reset and recalibration with you, um, with our friends, um, with our families. We ask for that, Lord. Would you bless us in that way? We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please stand and sing our last song.